Hey everyone, apologies on some of the audio issues uh, in this episode. For whatever reason, some of the timing got off on the Wi-Fi and did our best to edit them out and correct some of them. So you'll see, for example, Aaron talking when you're not actually hearing him talking. And then in the audio version, you'll hear him talking over the other person just because the timing doesn't line up. It was really weird. Did our best to take some of them out, but it just, I couldn't get all of them out. So uh, apologies on that. And hopefully this isn't a, a normal thing with some of the new software that we're using. So anyway, enjoy the episode. Light up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room. And once again, we keep hitting you with awesome guests. Today, we have Master Sergeant Chris Garcia, and he's uh, one of the cadre. He's been there for about a year and a half now, but he's one of the cadre for the TACP FTU Phase 1. So welcome to the show, Chris. Happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself, and then we'll dive right into the FTU, because I'm going to tell you right now, like, we get continuous questions about the TACP pipeline. So to have you on um, is really a treat because you're going to be able to answer a whole lot of questions for us. Okay. Yeah, so I'll give you kind of some backstory for me. So I didn't join the military until I was about 22 years old. Uh, I finished basic in, uh, probably December of 2020 or 2010. Uh, so I've been in just shy of 12 years. Uh, I went to support Bragg for my first duty assignment. I was actually there for nine and a half years. Uh, I was at least at two different units. I uh, got one com or one deployment out there uh, to Iraq, and then uh, JTAC instructor, JTAC evaluator. Uh, been exposed to the Air Support Operations Center as uh, Taxi Two, um, and then uh, I came really to Camp Bullis, and uh, I am now the operations superintendent of Phase One of the TACP Formal Training Unit, and we actually just rebranded. So the new uh, rebrand is called the Initial Certification Course or ICC. Uh, the overarching construct of what we do, our pipeline is called the FTU, uh, but one of the sub courses is ICC now. So, okay, so I want to I want to start I, like I'll I'll kick this off and go from the very beginning, and and this is no kidding. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of talking before before we started here because this really is education for all of us. I graduate basic training. What happens? Well, post basic training. <laughs> well, first of all, you're the you're the honor graduate, Peaches. That's what happens. First of all, as you go, so you graduate basic training and you go over to the mini mall over there on JBSA, and you wear your honor graduate ribbon, and then you have to bring a stick with you to beat off people that want to be close to you because it is that's basically what it happens. Okay, so anyway, so so Peaches goes to Smoothie King on the Riverwalk. So he gets a smoothie uh, and his blues, through, uh, and then what for the taxi pipeline? Um, and I know Combat Control, PJs, uh, Special Recon, they all kind of branch off eventually. Uh, the Tactical Air Control Party community does not yet have a ANS or assessment selection, and so to per determine where I guess where they're going to be classified, which which AFC or Air Force specialty code that they are identified uh, to do, uh, TACPI will branch off and um, go their route. And of course, you're familiar with special, the other special warfare equivalents going through ANS. Um, so TACP will eventually go to the three-level course, the apprentice course, which is at JBSA, so Joint Base San Antonio Chapman Annex. Uh, they'll conduct their three-level or apprenticeship or apprentice training there. Um, Post-graduation, um, they will conduct airborne school, SEER school, so your survival school, uh, and they will PCS to us um, at Chapman, or sorry, at Camp Bullis. Uh, which is still within Joint Base San Antonio. Okay. And then, I mean, just I'm, I'm going to keep walking the dog on this. And then kind of what happens uh, once they arrive at Camp Bullis? So once they arrive at Camp Bullis, so they will pretty much await team. So uh, we only run class of 24 students, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes the three-level course graduates more than that. Um, but we try to get students on team as soon as possible. Uh, they will conduct two weeks of administrative stuff, so they'll knock out a lot of expectations briefs. Um, since these students are coming to us from three level, uh, they don't they're not exposed to the the first term airman center uh, courses that are traditionally held at uh, their first duty station. 
So we actually started adding like finance briefs, um, mortgage briefs, nutrition briefs, uh, briefs about sleep, uh, fatigue and stress management. We have uh, Chief Mater from AFPC. Yeah. He comes down and talks about assignments. Um, so we're really, we've been kind of bolstering uh, the front end of the course uh, for some more uh, professional and personal development uh, for these individuals um, before they start team. And uh, while they go through course, um, they'll be here for 20 or sorry, 16 weeks uh, in training. And then um, they will depart to phase two post that. Uh, phase two will be at Nellos Air Force Base, which will be for another five weeks. And we can, we can kind of go more detail of like how each phase is broken down and then what's conducted within each phase as well. So, but um, they're actually, they PCS yeah. to us, well, and they TDY to Nellos. And then once they graduate Nellos, they come back to us. And then we do all the the hard work of, you know, getting them to their first duty assignments. Got you. Yeah. And that's a, uh, that's a question that we get a lot, right? People want to know not only, Hey, what is the course about, but they see that, okay, well, TACP aren't going to SWIC or TACP, we don't have an assessment selection. They just assume that they just show up and they go into training and you just laid out, you're doing a bunch of like NCO stuff for these young candidates. Like you're taking them to finance, you're teaching them how they're going to live in that phase one environment. Like that's a very important thing that people overlook oftentimes. If we don't say it explicitly, please people assume, assume that it doesn't happen. But a big part of your job, I imagine, is getting people ready to get into that phase one. You know, um, wh what are some of the big mistakes that you're seeing kind of in that, that student awaiting training status? Because we don't talk about it a lot, but you spend a good amount of your time in that, you know, waiting for team to start. You just talked about how we don't, you know, we don't have classes smaller than, or um, I'm sorry, larger than 24 individuals per class. What are some mistakes that you see in those three level airmen, in those, those really tech school airmen that are getting ready to start the course? So we've been fairly lucky, to be honest. Um, we set our expectations pr uh, pretty high and pretty early on for these individuals. And we let them know, hey, uh, this is what we expect of you. Um, we really harp on kind of the basics. So custom courtesies, you know, respecting everyone there, despite if they're not cadre, if they're contractors, you know, respect them. If they're support AFSC, support them as well or respect them. Um, so we kind of like instill it in them really early on. Say, hey, we don't have time for any shenanigans. We don't have any time for any administrative action. Um, so really, we kind of say, hey, you need to keep your noses clean because our commander um, at the detachment, also our commander at the 6 ETS in Nellis, uh, gave us full authority to pull guys from course and just get them out of TACP. Um, if, not, if they're not going to have the right attributes and the right attitude uh, to understand why they want to be there um, to um, hopefully be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And pe people, we hate getting them. We get the DMs and the guys are like, well... I, you know, I've dedicated my entire life to this. I've really done everything I possibly can. And I had one weekend where I accidentally, you know, drank and stayed out until 430 in the morning and punched police horse in the mouth. And I really want to be part of this program. And listen, guys and gals, discipline issues will get you kicked out just as fast as not meeting standards. So if you're that serious about it, this is the time to keep your nose clean and actually show up to training and do what you're supposed to. Right. So enough of uh, enough of the soapbox for me. So Chris, we, we move past that initial phase. Everybody is, is locked in. They're ready to go. When do they get their class date? Like when do they know that they're going in a team? Is there a big lag there? Is it a couple months? So traditionally, so I build the rosters. I work with the, what we call the registrar who uh, manages the course uh, at Nellis. And so I try to get the roster solidified 30 days out from execution. So 30 days out before the actual day of training one is when we lock in the team rosters. Um, that flexes a little bit based off our inbound rate. So depending on when the 353rd, the three-level course provides us, the students uh, will dictate like you know how, how soon we can get the team filled up for 24 students. Um, this, this last class, so our next class uh, is about to begin in about two weeks. Um, they were solidified probably three weeks ago, officially. Um, so we get, of course, your pipeline non-prior service airmen. We get uh, officers who come through um, both pipeline and also prior service. We get, uh, of course, your cross trainees and we get your guard, your guard students. Guard students will have a little bit different timeline. So they have some additional courses they, they attend. Um, so usually they show up a little bit later, um, especially if they do go back to their home duty, yeah. like their duty station, and then come back to the FTU. Fantastic. So, so it's a lot of waiting. But, and then uh, all of a sudden, like suddenly, start. bam, you got your course date and you're ready to go. The last thing I wanted to hit before we actually get into the, you know, no kidding, what is, what is that phase one is, what does the comrade look like? So you just had a bunch of different people. So you got officers, you got non-prior service, you got guard. You have no kidding first term airmen that are you know fresh off the the bus down there at Lackland. So 
they have to get together and form as a team and then be ready to execute day one, right? So how do you do you set that up for them? Are the students expected to do that? And then what are some some good things and bad things that you've seen the teams do? Because um, you can tell day one, if they don't know who's who in the zoo, they don't know who to go to for, you know, who's dad, who's mom, who am I supposed to be asking for this, right? Like, what what have you seen from the teams that they're like, man, I, I wish they would just figure it out? So most of the teams, uh, they have been together for a while. So most of the guys that uh, are on teams have been together since the three-level course, the apprentice course uh, on Chapman. And so the team uh, cohesion is already kind of built already. Um, of course, not their whole team is going to be together. Might, they might have onesies, twosies from other teams. Um, but uh, the way our structure works, we, we kind of put a lot of responsibility on the NCOs and the officers. So we are not really here to hold their hand the whole way. They already graduated three-level. Um, so we really put a lot of pressure on the NCOs and officers to be leaders, um, and fulfill that role as best they can, especially since the cadre are so few, um, we can't be there day in, day out, especially on the off duty. Um, so we really stress NCOs and officers doing, uh, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing, leading these guys, um, they'll be broken up into fire teams typically. So, um, they'll have uh, at least four fire teams within their, their flight. Um, and then, uh, really communication and dissemination of the information is key. So um, guys who communicate well um, are very successful. Guys who um, are proactive, proactive and free thinking uh, do really well. Um, guys with good attitude. Really comes down to good attitude. Guys with good attitude wanting to learn, wanting to uh, learn about uh, being a leader or how to lead um, is what really makes them successful. And then our cadre are there to walk them along the way as well. So um, we kind of do like a crawl, walk, one, run at phase one. Um, and we try to do our professional development uh, kind of uh, sprinkled within the course as well uh, to help, you know, guide these NCOs and officers to hopefully be better leaders when they get out of here. Right. And, and all that stuff is important. But I, I want to ask about the transition from three to five level. And I know we see this a lot is I, I'm, a, I'm assuming all the students remember 100 percent of the stuff that they were taught in three level. and makes it super easy on y'all to just roll right into to five level training. That's the. That's how it goes, right, Chris? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Um, you know, our pipelines aren't perfect. Uh, so there are some skills that atrophy uh, from three-level to five-level. Um, and so we do spend some time. I can break down the, the blocks, how we, uh, our, we run a course. But uh, we do allow some refresher and some retraining for those basic skills uh, to make sure they have those solidified before they start pushing on to the next uh, block of training. Um but that's no fault to the three-level course. Unfortunately, some kids are waiting for schools. Um, they don't have the resources and manning to implement uh, additional training or academics. I, I think they're working on that now. I don't want to speak for them. Um, but uh, COVID, you know, COVID hit. We had a lot of students who were waiting for schools due to COVID. And so many skills atrophied um, for our earlier classes um, when we ran this course. Um, but we have seen improvements. Um, the length of time that students are waiting to come here has definitely decreased. And uh, we've noticed that uh, the students are able to retain more of that knowledge when they come here. Yeah. I mean, we, we get a lot of questions from folks like about what I can do during downtime and all this other stuff. Like, is, is there a way for them to, to take responsibility for some of those things that they were taught in the three level pipeline as they go through airborne and Sierra and they're waiting around? Uh, have you seen any of that where the, the NCOs or officers take charge of these these little groups of people and, and make sure they're still studying those uh, those key things? Yeah, so the teams with officer NCOs, for sure. I know we've had a team with strictly airmen, and that, unfortunately, they're just airmen, so uh, it's a little bit more hand-holding uh, uh, hand for them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so our, our, our class was all airmen. They graduated, so they graduated phase two. Um, not everyone did, but the uh, majority of them did. Um, but it, they had some growing pains going through. They definitely had a lot of uh, um, <laughs> instruction and uh, guidance from, from the NCOs, the instructor corps. Um, but for the three level course, they, uh, they are they're implementing a, some type of program to allow for these students to, uh, have access to, uh, curriculum academics, uh, to study upon as they're waiting to come here. And then, um, typically we grant them access as well to course curriculum. So I'll typically, uh, when the guys, when the students arrive here, I'll give them a joint publication for close air support. I'll give them their joint fires, uh, TTP, the J fire, uh, a ranger handbook, and then we will enroll them into what we call class E365. And so this uh, website basically grants them access to all the curriculum, all the PowerPoint presentations that they will conduct here at phase one. 
Um, it additionally has resources. It has additional publications they can review. Um, so I try to give that to them in the front end so they can start looking into, you know, what they may be exposed to, uh, read up on some stuff and then be prepared to answer or ask questions uh, when they get into the, the classroom setting. Nice. So that they, they get out of three level and all this other stuff. They get up there, they get it through all the NCO, you know, real life, welcome to the Air Force type stuff. What What is the first thing that you guys hit them with at the FTU as far as like TACP core skill set? What, what do you jump right into? So uh, our course is broken down into four blocks. You want me to just go into kind of the, all the blocks here at the FTU or uh, at least phase one? Sure. So once they finish, so we have, like, like I mentioned before, we have the two weeks of administrative training uh, expectations briefs. Uh, post that, they will uh, start block one of training, which is four weeks long. Uh, the first week of block one is kind of a refresher of all their basic uh, TACV skills. Uh, so working with radios, antennas, constructing antennas, uh, doing your map and compass skills, uh, land navigation, um, and then... Uh, They'll do a little bit of CQC smut stuff, um, but it's really kind of just kind of seeing where they at, where they stand, um, how much they batch a feed from the three level course, and determines like how much more, um, I guess, work the cadre need to put into them to get them to progress further on. So, first week is very basic refresher. Um, the next two weeks are very heavy in academics. Um, so, the Legacy JTAC qualification course that was at Nellis Air Force Base used to have academic courses and classes. Uh, we've since taken that tick or taken that on. And so pretty much they'll go through like two weeks to, of like heavy academics, PowerPoints, um, and they'll actually do their first two simulator events or their simulation events. Um, they're instructor led. So the instructors will kind of walk them, walk the dog on the process uh, for them to be successful. Uh, the first one is your closer sport cadence. It's really just very basic, getting one aircraft, walking through the 12 steps, uh, making sure they're doing everything safe, everything procedural, correct. And that's really about it. Just very slow, just making sure they're doing the processes uh, appropriately. And then uh, the second simulator is a call for fire uh, with rotoring integration. So uh, still very basic. Um, it's all static, uh, nothing too, too cosmic. Um, we're just trying to get these guys exposed to um, basically these uh, skill sets uh, before we start making it more advanced as the blocks progress. Um, so those are in the, the second and third week, uh, or second and third and the fourth week is top off of academics, um, that were uh, from the legacy JTAC QC course. Uh, they'll do some more small unit tactics and close quarter combat stuff. And then they'll get first exposed into night operations. We'll do some night driving, uh, with under nods, uh, which they should have accomplished already at three level, but it's kind of another check of like how well they, they operate, uh, in that condition before they move on to the, the next block. And then, uh, block yeah, two. I was good. That night driving. I don't, Trent, I don't, I don't mean to be mean. So this, I mean, it's not, you know, you guys anymore, but I seem to remember a Sao T, a small square shaped Sao T guy almost killing us by driving into like a 15 foot Arroyo under NVGs. So that, that thing there is to say, you need all the time you possibly can driving and being under NVGs because there's no substitute for it. Like it sucks. Well, almost dead, Trent. So I know much to the fine. lament of the career field. I don't know if you're qualified <laughs> to say almost much to the lament of everybody that listened to this podcast. I'm still very much alive. All right. So anyway, uh, the night driving is a requirement that we focus on. Well, luckily, night vision goggles have greatly uh, progressed throughout the years. So it's a lot easier to look under those things than, than like the seven deltas or even the ones before those. So. Oh yeah, yeah. The the old white phosphorus, they're uh, the, they're game changer. <laughs> um, so I I do want to take a step back because I don't want to get too far ahead. Just because I, I you had brought up something, you know, um, with cross trainees, and then you had a you know class that had only airmen in it. Like, what is the kind of expectation that that you guys have for? either prior service or cross trainees that are coming in, in terms of that leadership role. Like, because it's, it's kind of a ne it's kind of a nebulous thing when we say, Oh, well, you're expected to lead these kind of folks. And you know, it's, it's a pipeline school. So we, we say that it's like, Oh yeah, well, we just have these certain expectations, but like from a cadre's perspective, what do you expect from prior service and cross trainees? So expectations from prior service are definitely higher, um, but due to their experience, especially if they're already a staff sergeant or a, a tech sergeant, um, it's 
being the NCO that's looking after the airmen, so they're looking after the health and well-being of the airmen, um, you know, make sure they're getting enough sleep and rest, uh, food, uh, their pay is taken care of. So keeping track of these airmen's pay, because that's a big thing as well, especially working with uh, JBSA and having a lot of issues with um, ensuring, you know, guys are getting paid appropriately. But uh, kind of the basic NCO skills, uh, you know, make sure their the mental state's good, uh, their family life is is healthy. Uh, and they have overall a good balance of their, you know, the work and personal uh, life while they're going through the course. Um, so be like, they're there day to day. So unfortunately we can't be there with the students at all times, but we utilize them kind of our, as our extension uh, to make sure the airmen are in a right mindset as they go through the course and they're staying healthy too. No. And, and that's good too, because I mean, obviously it's good, but it's good because, um, you know, you guys are kind of front loading, you know, you said it, the finance classes and that kind of stuff, like all those you know, life skill kind of things that, that matter a lot that are often overlooked when it comes to military training. So like, that's amazing that you guys are doing that. And then for those folks that are like that, that whole, make sure your people are getting paid well, make sure that their family is taken care of all those things that you, you think, well, that's an assumption. It's not always at the forefront of people's minds. So the fact that you guys are instilling that continuously, and that becomes the, the norm is, is really good. So I good on you. I'm going to ask this because it's going to r- roll me right into, uh, something else I want to talk about, but, uh, ruck marching, how much ruck marching should we do? Well, so our students do a lot. <laughs> we actually just did a, uh, a ruck program. And so it's a phase, uh, a phase program here at the FTU, uh, at phase one, um, what it, what I didn't mention, uh, in the admin weeks, uh, so the airman actually conducts a OFT. So the operator fitness test, the tier two one, uh, during those admin weeks. And they also conduct a 12 mile baseline ruck. So the 12 mile baseline ruck is just to see where they stand, um, to see how their skills or their conditioning, uh, atrophied from the three level course. And then utilizing those metrics and that data, we keep track of like how they progress through the ruck program. So they'll, you know, do a four, six, eight, 10 miler. And then you eventually do a 14 mile ruck uh, for their uh, final ruck march that's done here at phase one. And it's actually a go, no go. So students have to uh, pass this 14 mile ruck uh, within the prescribed uh, time standards. Which are they, uh, do, are they allowed to know the time standards? Cause if they're not, we won't, we won't mention it here. I just don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to have any breaches in security here. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that's the last thing that we need is like, now we're giving out trade secrets as well. You know? <laughs> We tell the students here, uh, they will find out when they first arrive, but, uh, yeah, the students, when they arrive here, uh, will be, uh, notified of the, the time standard. I dig Fantastic. it, man. That is going to drive some people nuts. So right many. Now. Why can't we just know? <laughs> why can't you just tell us now? If you're going to tell us when we get there, why can't you just tell us now? That's my voice for, uh, what do I assume? What I assume everybody in the, uh, in the comments, uh, is like, <laughs> just pop the lid on TACP. Just that's it. it. Yeah. J- guys. Uh, it's bad enough. We already have a special reconnaissance guide that doesn't tell us anything about anything that SR does. Now we got a TACP guy too. Um, one of the things that that people kind of forget, and and you've mentioned it a couple times here, and I I want to highlight it because it's important. You keep saying like, "Hey, how many you know have these skills atrophied? Whatever." Hey, boys and girls, welcome to having way too many currency and proficiency items to keep up on them all the time. Just over the course of you know, we've been talking for what like twenty twenty five minutes. We've talked about how you're going to get PowerPoints, how you're going to get mentorship on real life advice, how you're going to be expected to sleep, eat, train, and recover. of your time. We're asking you to please be brushed up on academics. Things that you've learned before, we're expecting you to not only internalize those things and and meet the standard once, but then hold that standard the entire time. I know we made a joke about it earlier, but once you gain a skill, you don't get to, you don't have the luxury in these pipelines to just learn a skill, brain dump it, and then be like, okay, cool, you know, on to the next course. That's not how this goes. And even, you know, we're talking specifically about rucking. But really, if you're not, if you get a little bit used to admin, you get a little bit used to being at that computer studying for two weeks, a little bit used to being in that classroom environment, and then you throw on a ruck and you go for a walk, your feet may not be conditioned in the same way that they were before. Those those lower legs, they they just feel a little bit different. So you have to be out there. You have to be on those feet and working because if not, those skills are going to atrophy. And it's sometimes you got to break a mental sweat too. Sometimes you got to review those, review those, uh, uh, you know, courses of instruction before class as well. Um, Chris, how, how important is that, is that preparedness? Like, especially, you know, we'll talk about running, so we'll stay there, but 
how important is that uh, preparedness to, to make sure that those skills stay where they are? So for us as TACP um, and even other APCs, like we can be integrated to many different types of units. And uh, the TACP, I won't go too deep into the weeds of this, but the TACP community is kind of shifting their focus and they're kind of changing a little bit how they do business. Uh, and one of those areas of business that they're moving towards is conducting uh, operations in small teams and then doing more reconnaissance type stuff and going deep out, like beyond the flot, so the four line of troops, uh, which requires them to ruck uh you know, carry a pack on their back with 60 to 90 pounds of all their equipment and then them to survive out there for a period of time, uh, collecting information, not necessarily doing the Gucci cleared hot stuff all the time. Um, but being a, um, a force multiplier in a, in a different regard. Um, uh, but being able to ruck march and carry your pack, uh, and to be able to dismount and stay up with a team. Um, so you're not a liability is super important. Um, even the conventional, like working with the, um, you know, light infantry or airborne unit, units, they're going to be walking quite far, many, many places. So being able to be conditioned to stay up with your army counterparts and whatever, whatever teams you augment is, uh, super important because, you know, you provide a certain capability as a tactical air control party member. And if you can't keep up with that team, like you're just doing them no good at that point. Um, so a lot of students don't really understand, like they, they, we've had some students who, complained about how much we ruck here, but um, ultimately we're trying to maintain conditioning. So their, their bodies are adapted to that stress. And so when they, when they leave the FTU and they get to their operational unit, like if they deploy, then their, their body's already conditioned to, you know, carry that workload or that load on their back uh, and actually do the work uh, that's required of them. I can't imagine a sister service team giving the air force guy a hard time. If you can't keep up, that just doesn't, I can't. Yeah. They, they seem so nice. Right. <laughs> guys it's a joint environment I don't, I don't understand why the real question i have trent is like so we understand that guys are going to be alone and unafraid out there in the wilderness on their own living out of their pack but how there's no company that supports those sort of outdoor endeavors do you do you know of anybody maybe friends of ours that that would actually help people get ready for this sort of thing i mean yeah everly stock i guess i guess i don't know anyway um, what yeah that's that's what we all use um I think we made it through phase one and Aaron, I appreciate that, but the setup for Everly stock, that was amazing. Um, so <laughs> a little, little softball for you. I I'm getting the bando bag ASAP for, for my everyday carry. Mike, uh, Mike McBride posted a picture of his bando bag and his everyday carry. And I was like, not only do I want all of those things, send me your gun. Um, but give me that bando bag. It's fantastic. Holds all your stuff. Everly stock.com. We're gonna have to send Chris some Everly stock stuff. We're gonna have to. Uh, for, for putting up with us. <laughs> um, so so they, they make it through phase one, which is basically like a, a, a rehash and an intro, right? Uh, of, of three level and, and ent- intro to uh, some J-Tackery. What's, uh, what's phase two like? Yeah, so that's block one of our training. So we have uh, four blocks of training. Uh, okay. Block one is kind of the rehash of skills and academics um, of the legacy JTAC qualification course. Um, as guys get through block two, three, and four, it's more of a, you know, they start jogging and running uh through the training so uh for block two uh they get exposed to all their tacti equipment all their specialized equipment um so whether it be laser range finding devices their laser target designator devices uh the work with the new uh android type phones uh that have atac or swack on them so the um basically a, a phone that has like a moving map uh for the most part um so basically any other tacti equipment they really get exposed to that uh, in block two and be able to utilize it and apply it, uh, in, in a few scenarios. Um, they'll do more night operations training under nods. So they'll get ex- exposed to, um, to operating and using their kit, um, and how, hopefully how to configure that kit or their, uh, you know, their tech equipment appropriately under night operations. And then, um, they'll do two additional simulator events. Um, so they'll do two more instructor led sim events, uh, within block two. And then they'll finalize block two with a, their first FTX, the field training event, uh, when they start applying all these skills that they're learned. Can, so during can I ask the about the, good. The the kit, because I, I think that's something that's that's overlooked from people that haven't joined yet. Like the the knowing where all your stuff is, the the being you know having everybody's uh, IFAC in the same place. How important is that, and how often do you guys jack that up, and it ends up you know making their life harder than it has to be while they're out in the field. So at three level, uh, students are taught how to like tie their equipment down. And, uh, we've had a few classes who, you know, thought they were done and over with, with that kind of, uh, that stuff. 
Um, but a few classes learned the hard way where they did lose some equipment uh, because it wasn't tied off. And so they had to do hands across America for many, many hours to, to find this lost equipment. <laughs> um, but so we kind of, really can we, uh, I, w- I was going to use the same term. <laughs> can, we, can we, can we explain hands across America? It's intuitive to us and all of us, my little heart, my little black heart just got so uh, like a, a degree warmer when I heard. So let's say, let's say that you got a team of operators. They're so high speed, Chris. They don't need to tie anything down. They don't need to do sensitive items check in or out of an object area like we do inside of our normal routines and inside our normal priorities of work because, you know, they're they're ready to slang and bang. You know what I mean? Barrel chested freedom fighters clutching a black rifle. They got some green or white phosphorus eyes. They got a sweet helmet on. They don't they're out here to work. They're operators, bro. If they lose some kit, it's cool, right? No, it's not cool, bro. So what's hands across America? So uh, to kind of just summarize it, it's basically where, uh, depending on where you were training or operating at, uh, everyone kind of just spreads out and they basically walk the whole length of that training area very slowly, uh, making sure they're kind of turning over every rock unturned uh, to ensure they find this sensitive item. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to last hours. Like we had a, a class I had to come back on a weekend and do it again because they couldn't find it on the Friday. Oh, so. I will, uh, I will tell the story very briefly about how there I was in Hunter army airfield and we were doing a free fall jump with the one sixtieth. We were using real world crypto on the radios that we were doing. And on the free fall jump, one of our guys lost his radio. Well, we spent a lot of time being super high speed special operations guys holding hands and walking across a field so it never gets old you lose a piece of equipment you're gonna find it i want to talk about the fdx though because that's at the end of lock two this is it sounds like we're starting to put things all together and we would see it at the pararescue schoolhouse where a guy can be a good medic he can be okay on the mic he can be okay as a climber but you start layering these things together and you're like hey here's a new atac we just taught you how to learn here's some small unit tactics that we gave you advanced techniques for Oh, by the way, your basic fundamentals of shoot, move, communicate have to be locked on. And I want you to do these things. Do you see the same sort of, you see the stress, you see the performance. The first FTX in, in block two are really the last, you know, FTX in, in block two. Is it is that just a dumpster fire sometimes? I imagine that it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> so like I said, we're still doing the, the, the crawl rock one. So the, the first FTX, they're getting a lot of instruction and guidance on uh, how to do operations. Um so it's not pretty sometimes. So depending on their, their experience level on their team. Uh, so the, the final FTX for block two. So uh, ultimately, it, uh, it's not pretty sometimes uh, based off nice. the, the experience levels on the team itself. Three then, so um, but they are kind of hey, kind of guided along the way to execute. It's be, you know, um, so it's very basic. Uh, you go over your, uh, your battle drills from your ranger handbook. So whether it be an ambush or a raid, their final mission is a raid, opening a raid of a compound and then securing an objective. Um, and then one student uh, or a few students will kind of switch off playing the, the JTAC role. But very basic, they'll only have a couple uh, assets or aircraft on station uh, in order to execute that mission. Um, but uh, they're guided kind of along the way uh, as they go through execution um, until they get to the next blocks of training uh, where it's more ramped up and kind of a little bit less hands, hands-on. And then us kind of more observing how they're going to be executing and how they're performing. Nice. Well, that flows perfectly into block three then. So you get out of block two and they're ready to kind of, hey, you, you guys have a little bit more. I assume it's going to be, you know, the leashes are off a little bit more in mission planning and, you know, they're allowed to, to have those those skills, right? So if we taught you those no, those new skills, you should be able to use them on your own at some point. What's block three all about? So block three, uh, a, a big focus of block three is reconnaissance operations. So uh, patrol operations and reconnaissance uh, moving uh, from objective to objective um, and being mobile. And so this is uh, the first block where they have graded scenarios or graded missions. Um, so a lot of these, now we're adding live fire, you know what I mean? And, and granted, it's a UTM, but now you're, you're no kidding pulling a trigger and you could possibly shoot one of your teammates. That's a big no-no. Typically on the good-bad scale, shooting a teammate is a bad thing. But now we're looking at even more skills in phase three. What are the big mistakes that you see as people start getting these new phases and these new skills? Where can you tell the difference? Like, what's the watershed for you between, hey, this is a good student and they're on track and they're going to graduate this this specific course or this specific phase, and what's bad? Like, when you see a student that's not doing the right thing here, what does that look like? So the biggest one is, I would say, response to instruction. So uh, we expect individuals or students that come through here to fail. Like, we want, we, we're here to train them. We want them to learn from their mistakes uh, and what they do wrong. 
Uh, but it's when students who can't grasp the, the feedback that is given to them and the additional instruction that's given to them and uh, kind of grasp it, understand it, and then apply it for their next uh, attempt to conduct that business. Um, so I would say that's square one is just understanding what they're being debriefed on and then uh, how to apply it again um, in a, a different, potentially a different method or a different way, a different manner uh, to be successful. Um, so that's one. And then uh, really it comes down to motivation and drive and attitude. So uh, students who are really are dedicated and want to be there, they want to become a TACP. Uh, they spend the extra time outside of the duty day to study. Uh, they get together with small study groups. They'll train on the weekends. Um, they'll try to apply these skills that they're taught and get more repetitions in. And so when they are expected to be evaluated on that subject, they're successful. And so the teams that are successful are the teams that do uh, spend extra time outside the duty day uh, to get together and, uh, you know, refresh on these skills or get some more um, more reps um, before they have to uh, do the actual thing. Chris, you know, I like to go sequentially and that's what we do in the military. We've already covered phase one, two and three. How about phase four? Like, how does that roll in there? And you guys are tying all this stuff together. Off, just so block four of our training uh, is a lot more field skills. Uh, they spend a lot of time out in the field. Mark, um, the so that's when we start exposing them to more AT. medical training. No Listen, uh, so they'll have some medical training sprinkled throughout that, the course, but they'll get a lot right more medical training it's gonna be uh, here. Uh, the intent is to eventually get students TCCC certified or CLS <laughs> plus uh, or equivalent um, when they leave here. Uh, they'll do some demolitions training, some breaching training. They'll work with uh, claymores, hand grenades. Uh, we'll expose them to the uh, base of the some machine guns, so the 240, 249. Um, so the base of the rifle, the uh, machine guns in the in 5.56 and 7.62. Uh, we eventually plan on getting students exposed to the 50 cal uh, as well as the Mark 19 grenade launcher. Uh, fortunately, Camp Bullis uh, can't uh, facilitate that yet, but uh, we are in the works of adding that to the course. Um, they'll do. Why don't you know that there was a fire on Camp Bullis? <laughs> Not with that attitude, you can't. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm sure Camp Bullis will be just fine ripping off just a slick 20 or... Th <laughs> no issues. <laughs> 20 or 30 rounds out of a Mark 19, out of a truck-mounted Mark 19 with HE. Dude, no the, big the deal. Listen, already loud enough Northern San Antonio, that's that's just going to roll right off their back. That's going to be fine. Uh, what else? Um, oh, we expose well. them to Seabrook operations, so they get, uh, they get uncomfortable wearing mop gear and uh, having to do, uh, do the job under uh, Mop 4. And so they'll do a few movements in that. So that's not fun. Um, just sprint. They'll do uh, some training in contested degraded operations. Um, really, we're kind of just topping off all these skills. So when they get to their final FTX and block four, uh, they're basically bringing it all together and they're executing on their own with no guidance, like really no direction whatsoever or no, uh, no handholding whatsoever. They're just there and we're observing and keeping notes of, you know, how they perform. So you guys are, you guys are jamming a lot of like, just as an outsider, jamming a lot of nice. stuff in the, to block four. Like, so how many weeks That's are we looking at for yeah. block four? Because that, I mean, just the, the heavy weapons training, the crew served alone. I mean, that, that takes some time. The T triple C, I mean, that T triple C doesn't take for the certification doesn't take a lot of time, but if you want to actually be somewhat, decent yeah decent at some medicine that's going to take some time like get too. good at it the demolition yeah. like and then you're throwing in the ftx so what are we looking at in terms of timeline for just for block four it's still four weeks uh all blocks are four weeks long um so we're cramming all that in. you're just sprinting um, dang yeah i can tell you so that. I, I, the court, uh, go ahead go, go i'm sorry I, I interrupted you go for it we got a little little lag i can tell you now that uh the course length uh may not stay the same so um if People are, that are listening are familiar with what a CFTP is, so the Career Field Education Training Plan uh, for TACP. It's outdated right now. It's uh, the, lot, the current version is 2016. Uh, they're in process of creating or uh, publishing a new version of our Career Field Education uh, Training Plan that's uh, going to be titled. It's going to be a special warfare one, uh, but it's going to add a lot more line items uh, or training tasks that have to be accomplished. Um, so we're going to do the best we can initially within that 16-week time frame. Um, but uh, there is potential that the course may have to lengthen uh, based on all these skills uh, that will be required uh, for these individuals. So I, I, yeah. And what I wanted to bring up too, is that, you know, four weeks is not a lot of time and you're cramming a lot of stuff in there. That is one of the reasons why, you know, when we take the ASVAB, right, the ASVAB is an easy, I'll, I'll just, you know, say it's an easy test, but it's an aptitude test. And it's, it's 
testing your problem solving skills and also your trainability. That's why we're looking for people that are trainable, not like, Hey, I'm stuck in my ways. And this, this is the way we did it. X, X, Y, Z. If you're a, you know, cross trainee or prior service, something like that, like we need you to be trainable because we are going to, and, and the whole blank slate thing, like, you know, people want to know, Hey, should I go, um, learn how to shoot? Should I take land nav courses? Should I do this? This is why we want you to come in with a blank slate because we don't have that much time to train you and we don't want to have to break bad habits. So come in as a blank slate, be open, be trainable, and then get it on because four weeks in each of those blocks of training, it, it, it's not a long time at all. You're talking about 20, tr- 20 training days. That's what that works out to. Like, you know, sometimes we train over the weekend, but man, there's a finite amount of hours in a day. So when you're talking about 20 training days, let's say that each one of those days is 10 hours long, right? You, you don't count your lunch and you work a, a good amount of, you know, 10 to 12 hour days. We're still only talking about 200, you know, 250 hours total for you to understand and internalize and apply these highly conceptual skills in a, in a high stress environment. Like the people that are, you know, I, I understand when students or when people getting in are like, well, I want to, I want to lean forward as much as I can so that I have this stuff. That's fine. As long as you can walk that line of when an instructor comes up to you and goes, Hey, you're doing it wrong. I need you to do it this way. If you can't break that other bad habit, that one's on you, homie. Like the easiest way to do it is come in with a blank slate. Like peaches is saying completely moldable. You want to come in as a piece of clay. If you want to come in with some other prior skills, that's fine, but you better be able to abandon how you do those skills right away and be able to perform the way the instructors want you to. Yep. Got them. Nailed Mark it. it down, everybody. <laughs> uh, I, I did have a, write it down, yeah, write it, write it down. Um, I, I did have a question cause you guys are, um, uh, you know, well, actually I'm saying this cause I, I already know the answer to it, but I want folks to know that like when you say the, the joint terminal attack controller simulator or the JTAC simulator. Like, what are you guys, are we talking about like little PlayStation video games? Are we talking about VR headsets? Like how does, like, can you just dive into that real quick and explain that? Yeah. So, uh, we have at least two JTAC simulators. Um, one is a, what we call a desktop trainer. It's basically just a big TV screen, um, where you have a, you have a few devices that, uh, simulate actual equipment. Um, so you have, uh, at least a tablet with your radio face on there. So you can actually program your radios and switch your frequencies. Um, you'll have a laser ranger type, laser rangefinder type device, uh, that can provide, um, multiple functions. And you also have a controller. It's like a PlayStation equivalent controller to move your avatar around. So you can actually look around and see, uh, the environments. Um, so that's what we physically have at phase one. Uh, phase two has those, but they also have a, what we call a dome simulator, which is like a 270 degree screen, um, with uh, similar functions. It still has all the, the, uh, replicated equipment in there as well. Uh, but it just allows the students to have a better view of their battlefield, um, when they conduct those simulated missions. Yeah. And I, and I will throw in just real quick, since we're talking about simulators, there is some new stuff coming out for all those out there that, um, that thinks that that might be a little bit dated there. There is a virtual reality JTAC simulator that is on the horizon. It's, it's currently being going through accreditation or maybe by this time this airs, it will have already been accredited and it is, it is next level being, I mean, it's fantastic. The graphics, the interface, it's, it's phenomenal. And by the time these folks are that are watching this come into the TACP pipeline, like it should be there. Hopefully. Chris, so as I've been sitting here, I've been uh, listening to you explain the, 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 the FTU or ICC, and it all makes a lot of sense, which is confusing to me. Like you guys do crawl, walk, run. You don't grade them for like the first two blocks, which gives them the opportunity to fail and to learn and do all these other things. You guys build these things on top of each other. And um, I, I'm just wondering, like, A, why there's not more chaos in your course, and B, though, uh, Based on your experience coming in through like about 12 years ago, is it moving in the right direction? Like you guys are, are utilizing all these things we've talked about for a long time, the flipped classrooms and all these other things. And uh, from your perspective, uh, you know, Airman Chris versus Mass Art Chris, like how much better is it now or, and how much room for improvement is there? We'll start off with just saying it's a lot better. So um, and to basically put it in, in this in this way where uh, training now that these individuals, these TACP students receive is standardized across the board. And so years ago, at least when I first came in, depending on which unit you were uh, assigned to, uh, your training may have started at different times. 
Um, the quality of training may have been different as well. And so uh, it really determines if your unit was deployed, uh, who had the experience to train those individuals that were on uh, in garrison or all, in the States. Um, and so timelines were all, all different. They were kind of scattered across the board uh, for some of the guys getting to their first duty stations. Um, now, when they get to our course, we it's it's been streamlined, standardized. So everyone everyone that comes to the course um, is going to get initially the same level of training. But of course, we are developing new curriculum. We're trying to advance our course as well and make changes based off feedback. Uh, both when the the product that's coming to the CAF or the Combat Air Force is relatively the same, and so the baseline is is kind of similar or should be similar based off the individual itself. Um, and so they can kind of build upon that product and make it better. Um, but it's, it allows the operational units to be less trained on resources, time and resources. It lets them, uh, able to focus on their proficiency training, um, or focus on the operational mission. Um, we, we can kind of take that workload off them and uh, focus more on it. And then it allows us to hire the right people, uh, as well. So we can hire, uh, individuals who are experienced, who have deployment experience, um, different AFCs, different, uh, MOSs, um, different backgrounds. Um, we, we can build our instructor core, um, in a di little bit different manner than your traditional ASOS, your, uh, air support operations squadron, uh, where you have, you know, manning based off a unit manning documents. Um, and you can't, let's say, hire a certain contractor who has, you know, this specialty. Uh, we kind of have some freedom in that regard where we can basically contract out, um, different positions to ensure we're giving the students the best training that we can possibly give them as they come to this course. Now, just speaking of instructors, uh, you guys, it seems like you're very, very focused on making sure that the students are successful and that you're training them and you're giving them all the, um, you know, opportunities to, to learn these things and to be the best, you know, tack P coming out the door that they possibly can be. Is it difficult to get all the instructors on the same sheet of music? Uh, you know, cause like when you, when you're like, Hey, I'm going to go be an instructor. I think what a lot of people think is I'm going to go smash some cones. You know, it's because it's, it's it's fun. But, you know, is, is as the op soup, is it difficult to get everybody on the same shade of music? And do you ever have to, like, pull them back and be like, hey, guys, like, this is the phase or the block where we're going to let them fall on their face. But, like, you know, block four, we can uh, you get after them a little bit more. Currently, no. So the individual that we have currently at phase one, um, they're all squared away and uh, they're, they're amazing guys. Um, very proactive, very knowledgeable, very experienced. Um, everyone understands the mission, what we're trying to, trying to do here, uh, really just trying to create a better product for the TACB community moving forward and a, a product that's uh, well-trained, hopefully, like um, and is prepared, you know, for the next fight, um, as we move forward, um, out of, out of coin or out of, uh, GWAT. For Instructor Corps, we don't really have to dial back at all. Like, so, like I said, we are here to train the students. All the cadre here are understanding and know that, hey, we will spend extra time, uh, with these individuals if necessary to make sure they're, um, retaining the knowledge that we're giving them. Um, but we're not here to smoke students. You know, we're not here to uh, beat them down uh, in training. We're really here to just make sure they're in an environment where they're going to be grasping and absorbing all the knowledge that uh, we give them. Uh, we will stress them out. So we will progressively induce stress as they go through the course. Um, but it's a means to allow them to adapt to that stress and be able to increase their stress tolerance. And so when they get to the CAF or the Combat Air Force, you know, they're not going to um, hopefully not be able to perform under under those uh, conditions. Um, since they may have not been exposed to them. Um, we can only expose them to so much in the training environment, but uh, we try to uh, induce stress as best we can uh, in, of course, a safe manner uh, for these these students going through. I'm going I'm to ask this because we get asked all the time about our day today. So, and it's Trent's favorite question. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so it's, it's Trent's favorite question, but from a student perspective, you know, because usually that is like, hey, at an operational unit, what's your day-to-day -day like? But for the students coming in, like from wake up, like kind of how does their day flow? And, it, and that probably changes based on what block they're in, but just at, from a general and, perspective, yeah, what are they looking at? I got bad so general day to day. Uh, the cooler they your day of training, have a strength and conditioning block. We actually have two strength and conditioning coaches assigned so to our uh, detachment. Us, everybody's like, uh, so oh, students bro, will go through a PT session uh, so typically in the mornings. Because like, uh, it'll be either strength based, condition based, whether it be on a track running or rucking. You know how long they'll conduct that usually before they do the training day. Iteration training days, depending on what they're doing, it may start at eight o'clock or it may start at nine or nine thirty. Just really depends on like what has to be accomplished for that day. 
those if they're doing long days of academics, their days may be longer. You're going to get a lot to cram in. And that's going to make Or if they're going out to the range, they need to you know pull weapons. Cooler the training sounds, the longer training day arm up, and then at the end of the day, of course, they need to you know take those weapons back to the armag or the armory before the day's over, and then. Yeah, really days can last until like 5.30 some days, 5.30, 6 o'clock for these students, um, especially if they're getting vehicles, uh, you know, ready and prepared, uh, depending on what uh, missions they're doing or what uh, training they're, they're conducting. Um, getting all their tech equipment uh, loaded up and packed up. Cell phones. Um, so, yeah, I'll say average average day uh, for most classes, I would say um, 7 a.m. to like 4.35 p.m. is your traditional day. Um, and of course that flexes a little bit based off what they're doing that, um, in that winter block or the time. Yeah. And I got bad news for everybody too. The cooler your day of training, the longer it's going to take you to set that training up and then clean up afterwards. So everybody looks at for us. Everybody's like, Oh bro, jumping free fall into the water is so much fun because it's like you just land in the water and it's awesome. You know how long it takes to set up a free fall water jump. You know how long it takes to set up a heavy weapon iteration for a team of students, man, you're pulling weapons early. You're setting the range up. There's a ton of safety checks you go through. And then at the end of the day, you're cleaning those weapons. Guess what? The weapons are never clean. You're going to give it back cleaner than you got it. And that's going to make you mad. Just get up for it. I don't know what to tell you, but the cooler the training sounds, the longer your training day is going to be. So just there's your day to day students. <laughs> Chris, what are you, uh, what kind of trends are you guys seeing from students, whether it's good or bad? Um, you know, and, and don't worry, I'm going to ask you, uh, an advice any question good trends? following this. Any, just some anything the, the students are doing that doesn't make you hate them. With, like, I guess that's probably a better days. way to put it <laughs> because listen, <laughs> yeah, I, I, Let's see, I trends. was just down at Kirtland, um, right? I'm not even an instructor. I gave a hug to some I'll say of the my most friends. recent one would be doing anything wrong. It's just sleep and nutrition. Uh, so our strength coaches people. implemented a um, kind so of a log a thing, that these like, students conduct every morning uh, before that's they start their PT sessions. Good. So they track but, all their sleep. So what they ate the night before. We start We try to track stress levels as well or how they're how they're feeling that day. So some students are. Hey, probably gaming too much at nighttime or on the weekends, I, I not getting the you know, you know, adequate sleep more. they need to recover uh, while they go through work. So that's the biggest maybe one. I don't is have to sleep. tell a grown man uh, when and lack of sleep can maybe cause a number of different issues. Maybe I don't have to tell a grown man what's in a book that I told them to read. Maybe I don't have to tell somebody. All week is like, we've had some attitude issues. So most airmen that have come through here have had a good attitude, but some have let the basic Air Force stuff diminish. So your custom courtesies. Uh, Addressing appearance, uh, that's one. Um, so making sure people are abiding by, you know, Air Force instructions and looking appropriately uh, as they're in a formal course. Uh, so that's number two. Um, communication. So trends? Communicating appropriately. <laughs> Uh, so students who don't communicate. Any good trends? Any Anything the students are doing that doesn't make you hate them? I guess that's probably a better way to put it. Because, listen, <laughs> yeah, I... I I was just down at Kirtland, right? I'm not even an instructor. I gave a hug to some of my friends. And it's not that the students were doing anything wrong. It's just I hate them because they're students and they're not real people. Um, so which is a thing. Like I, I shouldn't have said that. That's a that's a pretty good audio clip. Uh I'm sorry. So any any good trends, Chris, that you're seeing? We 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 feel the same trends, right? Like we say the same thing and we always try to, to temper with like, hey, of course the guys want you to be I, I love hearing, you know, a little bit more. Maybe a little bit more formal. Maybe I don't have to tell a grown man when to get a haircut. Maybe I don't have to tell a grown man what's in a book that I told them to read. Maybe I don't have to tell somebody that like all week is like, oh, I'm going to be a special operator. I'm going to be in charge of dropping bombs. Oh, really? You don't even know how to wear that outfit correctly. Like you don't know how to wear your clothes. So can we find a middle ground here? <laughs> um, what What are some good trends? Good trends, attitude. Uh, a lot of students who come through with good attitude, uh, positive attitude. Um, so uh, attitude <laughs> for sure. Um, students who are uh, free thinkers or critical thinkers, uh, be, being able to think outside the box. Perfect. Hey, students, uh, I hope you're hearing to this. To be able Chris, to I hope you kind of decipher I, I a process or a, or a, a problem that line. and then maybe find a few solutions to regs, execute or uh, regs, to solve it. Okay. It's um, just barely, maybe a little bit extra. What else? Uh, for that's all students. you need. Listen, um, Uncle Aaron. Oh, I can't call myself. Driving motivation is big. So um, ensuring that they want to be there and they're performing and giving efforts as they go to the day to day. Yeah. 
Um, uh, yeah, it is. It's, and then another I'm big the, one, uh, in my opinion, would be stepdad. You may not like me, but you um, will respect. Train of thoughts. Mark that one um, down, Peaches. That was a rat bite. Yeah. Basically, the yeah, thirst for knowledge, time um, being hungry for one. information, um, being worry, open to new information, being able to take it in and, and want to go seek so, it out. That's another big one. Students who are there to learn. If it's just barely, they want to learn. Learn the job and learn as much as they can while they're in this course. And hopefully carry that that attribute or that that quality as they move forward. Because when when students graduate here, we're never done learning, and so there's way more information to learn, um, way more knowledge the, that they can attain uh, when they get to the operational units. And only we only, we only have 16 weeks uh, here at Phase One, so um, we can't teach them everything, but uh, we can hopefully create a good foundation um, for these individuals to hopefully um, take that on forward and be successful. No, that's, the that's the awesome. hair game on point though. You seen a lot of good hair out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, some good haircuts. Some uh, students who like to uh, skirt the line of regs, but uh... <laughs> perfect. Hey, students, I hope you're hearing this, and and Chris, I hope you don't. I, I hope this doesn't ruin our friendship. Students, keep pushing that line. If it's just barely in regs, it's in regs. Okay, if it's just barely, maybe a little bit extra pomade. That's all you need. Listen, Uncle Aaron. Oh, I can't call myself Uncle Aaron because there's already an Uncle BK. Um. How about this? How about stepdad Aaron says, "Hey, because you never like your stepdad." Yeah, I, it is. It's I'm the I'm the Air Force Special Warfare stepdad. You may not like me, but you will respect. Mark that one down, Peaches. That was a rat bite. <laughs> I also won't do that. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm go ahead. And yeah, go ahead and timestamp timestamp that one. Don't worry, everybody's I'm everybody's sorry. gonna find it and send it to me anyway. So sorry for the derail, but uh, yeah, keep if it's just barely in regs, students, it's in regs. Chris, uh, last last question before we uh, before we wrap this up. What advice for all those that are listening? What advice would you give them? Um, whether it's you know education, training, attitude, which you said is is been good, or whether recovery, just maybe maybe your top one or two pieces of advice that you would give to the folks um, that would be coming in wanting to be a TACB. So, top two things of advice for those coming through. Um, I probably hit on that already, but I would say the biggest one is attitude for sure. Attitude. I can, I can't put something that enough. Um, it's hard to train attitude. Uh, the individual themselves develops that and carries that with them. They can maybe, you know, develop and fine tune and tweak it as they progress on. But, um, if the student doesn't want to be there, like we can only do so much to, um, help them along the way. Uh, we can only give so much additional instruction, uh, only so much guidance, uh, but the, if the individual doesn't want to take that guidance in, that additional instruction, um, and they, you know, think they know everything themselves, like, sorry, then we can only do so much for you. And then we can find a different career field, or you can you can try to get to this course by yourself, but uh, you may not be successful um, going through. Um, so definitely attitude for sure. Um, I would say the next one is just being a team player, uh, being a team player, being a uh, teammate. Uh, within this course, they are evaluated and graded individually uh, at times, but many times they're graded as a team. Um, and so understanding uh, being a good team player, ensuring they, that they can delegate tasks, uh, know that the NCOs and officers can't do everything for them. And hopefully we instilled in the officer and NCOs, hey, you can't do everything yourselves either. Um, so being able to disseminate information, uh, delegate tasks, um, allows the team to hopefully function uh, a lot smoother and better. Uh, going through. Um, there'll be times in the course where we let the students plan a mission and uh, all of a sudden we take someone out of the equation, throw someone else in there, and hopefully they their team caught them up to speed or they understand wow. you know what they're doing of all the um, to execute. So uh, making sure everyone's involved in the processes uh, that they conduct here out, take up is super important. And so make sure everyone all time. has a so contribution you, to the mission or to the task at hand. The airport, uh, just don't leave everyone, everyone Chris, out. Hey, thanks You're for coming on. Just, I got to jump. Um, I really appreciate you coming try on. Try to weed out Anytime team. you want to so, come on and talk about stuff. Teams that work together, communicate together. Um, are very, very successful. That that's what we would call a, uh, a trend, uh, for advice because everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people say, um, even though it's not the exact same thing, it's like, it all ties into, to each other, you know, be trainable, have a good attitude, be a good teammate. And, and I know it's difficult to define, Hey, what's, what's a good teammate? Cause there's so many different aspects of it, but if you have to question it, like, is this what's good for the team? Maybe it's not. Or if you get that selfish feeling like, Hey, everybody else is working and I'm kind of doing my own thing, worrying about my own stuff. Maybe you're in the wrong. 
But anyway, uh, great chatting with you, Chris. Um, FTU Phase One sounds like it's uh, off to a great start. I know it's been been around for a while now, but uh, it's really educational for me, and uh, and I'm sure some folks out there will will enjoy it. So appreciate everybody joining and uh, and watch. Like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, leave us a review because uh, tell us how, how great or poorly we're doing and uh, or how bad Aaron's hair looks, and then we'll go from there. All right, everybody. I'm not even going to give you a chance to respond. Later, everybody.